Welcome to The Grind, a podcast about the church planting process and missional strategies to make disciples of all nations. Coming to you from the offices of the Arkansas Baptist State Convention in Little Rock, Arkansas. Now, here are your hosts, Dave McClung and Chad Grigsby. Welcome to the next episode of The Grind Podcast. Uh, As always, I am Dave McClung, and with me is the glorious uh, Chad Grigsby. Yes, always glorious. (laughs) <laughs> he just he just radiates glory glory <laughs> or something like that yeah and uh so uh we're glad to be back and uh we are recording this uh episode following labor day weekend so uh did you have a, a great labor day uh relaxation time it was it was great were you uh, rested from your labors well yeah i mean we we were at that training in st louis last week yeah. and i got home pretty dog tired so we just laid low Hung out, family. Uh, it was awesome. Yeah. I mean, that's my idea of a good time is doing nothing. <laughs> yeah. So much yeah. to the chagrin of my three-year-old and wife. Yeah, there's nothing more annoying to a three-year-old than seeing an adult do nothing. But, uh, <laughs> but it was great. Yeah. How about you guys? What'd y'all do? Yeah, uh, Chad and I spent three days in St. Louis for some church planning training. Training. Training for trainers and uh, had a great time there. And uh, but it was it was nonstop from early in the morning to late at night. And so we were all we were all pretty tired when we got back. And and uh, yeah, I mowed the yard on Friday, and that was the most strenuous activity I did all weekend. I did preach mm. Sunday uh, in uh, Camden, which was good, mm. and had a great time down there. But uh, other than that, it was it was. Football kickoff weekend. Football's back, man. Football is back. Feels and so good. I think I watched about eight different games over the weekend. Yeah. And uh, and one that will be pertinent to our conversation today with our interviewee, Todd Ingstrom from Austin Stone Community Church in Austin, Texas, who also graduated from Notre Dame. Yes. So bless his heart, he's probably down and in the absolute worst place to live uh, right yes, now, if you're right. a Notre Dame fan, yeah, I'd be curious <laughs> so. to see. I, I'm actually curious to see if he went to the game. Yeah, uh, yeah, because you know if he, he was right in his backyard. Yeah. Why not go see you know your team play? Hard to make it up to South Bend, I'm sure, but yeah. not not the game you really want to <laughs> yeah, attend at right. the end of the day. So right, fantastic game though. If you're just a football fan, it was so much fun to watch. And uh, both of, teams just playing good games hearts out. this weekend. Yeah, too. yeah, and oh, yeah. Uh, heartbreaker for for Ole Miss uh, last night, yeah. and uh, Florida State just just rolled over them in the second half. And of course, Alabama, you know, looked like the number one team in the Gosh. country. And it's just it's them and everybody else. It is. It, it just I didn't see anybody this weekend that looked even close. Yeah. Uh, Ole Miss looked pretty sharp in the first half, and then Florida State looked pretty sharp in the second half. You know, last night, but man, that Alabama defense is just incredible. Every, every year, you think this is the year. They're going to yeah. just drop a little bit. We're all going to get them. We're, no. No, no. They're not doing this what year. they do. No. And Arkansas, man, squeaked one out there. Good Louisiana Tech team, but middle of the pack for Razorbacks and looks again. So, uh, but, you know, if we can win a few games early, we typically play very well down the stretch. So, yeah. 
So we'll see. I'm always cautiously optimistic uh, with the Razorbacks. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it's been better to be a Razorback fan than a Texas Longhorn fan here yeah. lately. <laughs> yeah. Much to the dismay of our, our uh, what, what, what do we call you, media minister? <laughs> Uh, yeah. pro- production can't, minister Nick you, Burke. You can't quit calling him that. I know it. I can't. It's stuck in my head. Uh, and uh, so, uh, anyway. <laughs> it's like you couldn't quit calling him that before. Now you can't remember, I can't what, remember you what I called you. And so, uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> that's right. He's the boss, Nick Burke, ladies and gentlemen. So, uh, hey, a uh, quick, quick word uh, before, uh, before we get into our interview with Todd Engstrom. Uh, be sure and check us out on Facebook, Twitter. Uh, ABSC Church Planting on Facebook, AR Church Plants on Twitter, uh, ABSC Church Planting Team on Instagram, of course, website, absc.org. And then also uh, mail in your church planting stories to the grind at absc.org. Uh, we're going to do some mailbag segments coming up. And uh, also, uh, if you would, go on iTunes and uh, write us a review. Uh, shoot us a screenshot of that, and we're going to be doing some book giveaways from some of the books that we've recommended uh, that Chad and I've read. And uh, so uh, excited to do that and want to give some books away. So do a, do a review for us and on uh, on iTunes there. Hey, I also want to give a shout-out to our buddy Scott Quimby and Shannon Bird. Uh, Scott and his band Preservation Theory, of which Shannon is a part, um, have recorded a new CD, and they wrote the theme music for the Grind podcast. And that CD has dropped now uh, as of September 30th, so you can pick that up on iTunes and listen to it on Spotify. And then thanks to Shannon for doing the the voiceover stuff and the, the transitions from segments, and uh, just a talented guy, great friend, and uh, thankful for those guys providing their talents to the grind. And so, uh, all right, let's get into our interview with Todd Engstrom from Austin Stone Community Church in Austin, Texas. Todd, thanks for being with us today, man. How are you? I'm doing very well. Thank you guys for having me today. It's a pleasure to be on with you. Yeah, as we've already talked uh, off the air, nursing your wounds a little bit, a big Notre Dame fan living in Austin. That's tough. Yeah, it's, uh, I was really glad for Labor Day uh, because <laughs> I didn't have to show up at the office and uh, was able to legitimately just hide from people and not have to talk about <laughs> stinging law. <laughs> yeah. Blinds are down, porch lights are off, no one is home. Uh. Oh, yeah. <laughs> hey, man, we really appreciate you being here. Uh, really appreciate uh, your ministry. Uh, you've been, been with us in Arkansas before. Uh, did a cohort with you guys a couple of years ago from our church, really, really benefited from it. So we're really happy to have you on and be able to share with uh, some church planters in Arkansas a little bit about your experience. So if they don't know who you are, maybe they weren't able to make the one day uh, that we had in, in February. Tell us a little bit about your family that we uh, hear in the background, which is great. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> because we have young kids. Tell us a little about your family, kind of your, your ministry journey, how you ended up at the Austin Stone. Yeah, um, I have a beautiful wife named Olivia, and we have been married for uh, a dozen years at this point, and we have five uh, children, so mm. it's like a hurricane or a tornado at our house every day. <laughs> yeah. so they are nine, seven, five, three, and one. So, wow. Uh, yeah, it's uh, back to back to back to back here. Yeah. <laughs> So uh, hopefully you will hear less of them as we continue on. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, no problem. 
Uh, we have a three-year-old whose name is Owen. Uh, we named him that because we wanted him to be a warrior for joy. That uh, was kind of the prayer we prayed for him. We've got the warrior part down. It's the joy part. <laughs> <we're working. laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> so, uh, so, yeah, we live here in Austin. We have been in Austin since 2004. So right after we got married, we packed up and moved our family here to this city. Originally to do... Uh, a PhD in chemistry at the University of Texas, and then took a hard right in 2007 and joined the uh, the pastoral team at the Austin Stone, and it served in a variety of different capacities there. So I have a pretty non-traditional route to ministry, but uh, God is gracious to take a guy who was born in the Northwest, educated by Catholics in the Midwest, and make him a Southern Baptist pastor in Texas. <laughs> God has a sense of humor, right? Who has a chemistry that, that background. Is, <laughs> that he does. Yeah. That he does. So, so what is your exact title at Austin Stone uh, now? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm the executive pastor of ministries here, okay. so we kind of took the traditional executive pastor role and split it into two, so... Uh, my friend Dave uh, runs kind of our operations, uh, so finances, facilities, uh, you know, that kind of piece of things. And I run the ministry side of the equation, so all the personnel, people, leadership. With anything we do from the nursery to the mission field, is kind of my area of oversight. Yeah. So how often does your chemistry background play into your ministry uh, there as executive <laughs> pastors of ministry? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, I often say that the uh, content did not transfer, but a lot of the principles <laughs> that I learned uh, yeah. significantly do. So I learned to be a very good problem solver. So hmm. when you're in a lab, uh, you know, most of all day, every day, you get pretty good at, uh, we call it kludging. So fixing things on the fly with very little resource. So duct tape uh, and bailing wire, yeah. my friend. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> so that actually... Uh, Believe it or not, that translates pretty well into the world of ministry. <laughs> uh, absolutely, so. particularly in church planning. Yeah, uh, as yes, all of our church yes, planners indeed. try and figure out how to do ministry well on the cheap, and so yes. uh, so that's yes, indeed great skill to have. So we need to encourage all of our church planners to do a, uh, a bachelor's degree in chemistry. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> it has the uh, the dual benefit then of giving you a pretty uh, pretty solid fallback career trajectory <laughs> if uh, church planning yeah. doesn't work out for you. <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so my wife, uh, the show Breaking Bad, my wife said we could never watch because she thought it would be too close to reality <laughs> for us. So. <laughs> Oh, that's great. That's oh, great. Yeah. If if you suddenly have piles of cash start showing up, then yeah. she needs to be suspicious, huh? Yeah. Yeah, you guys you guys can uh, probably call the FBI. Good, so. They have a big office in Austin, don't they? I think so. No? Maybe? Uh, I, not that I know Maybe of, that's but, the uh, Texas Rangers. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Chad watches too much Walker, Texas Rangers, so. Uh, you know it, yeah. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> oh goodness! Oh, that's great. That's great. Well, well talking about uh, problem solving and you know your background in chemistry and how that's played into you know figuring out how to solve problems and issues. You know, when you were here for the one day event in February, you talked a lot about uh, culture in the church and how the the culture has to be right to create the systems. Uh, you're a great systems guy, and we'll talk about some more of that here in a minute. But kind of talk about how you guys created the culture you did at, at Austin Stone that 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 really has laid the foundation for you guys to to make disciples that make disciples and and to create groups that multiply into more groups and and to plant churches and just kind of keep Austin Stone moving forward and multiplying. So describe how you guys kind of created that culture and the kind of culture you created there. 
Yeah. Uh, I mean, creating culture is kind of a unique thing, right? Is uh, Culture is just the aggregate of, you know, people's deep-seated beliefs that then get expressed into unique values that become what we call artifacts or things that people do. Yeah. Uh, you know, and creating culture is probably a little bit of a misnomer. It's like you have a culture already right. that you come from, hmm. and then the Bible gives us a pretty clear understanding of what biblical convictions that relate to a culture are. And so really the question is, how do you take what the Bible says and create, cultivate, kind of, uh, an, an identity that, that takes people where they are and helps them follow Jesus more faithfully. So then I think, you know, when we talk about creating culture, it began uh, at the very beginning of the Church with Matt Carter, our founding pastor and pastor of preaching. Uh, his particular unique passion, just to see Jesus exalted no matter the cost. Uh, for him, you know, he was a kind of came out of, you know, sort of the uh, 90s era of ministry, which was all church growth centered. And I think his reaction to that was, I care deeply about people meeting Christ. I care about them seeing uh, and experiencing the love of Christ expressed in uh, the church itself, and then how we're going to go about growing a church. So it's all rooted really back in that. Uh, I want to see Jesus lifted high. So that's not just like... Um, you know, something that's kitschy that we say. I mean, that's actually deeply what Matt bled and what he still bleeds to this day. So our culture begins, in some ways, with the burning center of Christ in the Gospel. Uh, you know, and over time, we've kind of described how that's been played out in multiple different ways. And so, man, when you think about disciple-making, multiplying groups, and churches planted, and churches grown, um, we all kind of just drive back to that one fundamental conviction that we want to see Jesus lifted high. Uh, and then it's been working with different people at different times in different ways uh, in our church. So um, Kevin Peck, our lead pastor now, uh, was just really fantastic at thinking through uh, not just the singular conviction, but what does that mean for us as a community of faith with respect to a lot of different things? And so... Uh, with respect to disciple-making and leader-making, how we're going to think about the present time, how we're going to think about the future. What is it that we, you know, when we uh, look back on our lives that we want to be known for? Um, guys like Michael Stewart, who now directs the Verge Network, thinking yeah. and dreaming about what it would look like for the Church to adopt a missionary posture. You know, So just lots of different stuff over time, I think, is what helps us to cultivate the culture that we have. But it's always been through particularly uniquely anointed leaders in a certain season of life where fundamental pieces of our culture are locked into place and don't change. That's great. Yeah, really good. Um, you guys do missional communities at the Stone. I've heard you talk to you talk in, in a cohort that, that I did with you guys, but also in your one day that you did here in Arkansas for us. Not all your groups start out as missional communities, though, but you, yeah. you hope to kind of start groups and move them toward that. Talk a little bit about your your, your process for that. I've talked, I've talked with guys about that and said, you know, Hey, just cause they're not a missional community today doesn't mean you shouldn't start them as a group. And it just, it really messes people up. <laughs> so <laughs> help, help, yeah, help yeah. us work through why you do that, why you believe that, why you think it's effective to get people eventually into, to a missional community mindset. Yeah. Well, I think it goes back to kind of one of our big whys, you know, is like, why are we even doing groups in the first place? And it's because we, we believe that groups are the context in which disciples are often made, shaped, formed, and then sent. Uh, so 
So for us, we go back to discipleship. And why have a process that people work through? Well, it's understanding that people need to be discipled towards Christ-likeness over time. Mm-hmm. And helping groups of people take steps of obedience to Jesus together over the course of time seems to be a particularly effective way of, uh, of taking our time in disciple-making. So, so for us, it begins with the recognition of what's our starting point, you know? Uh, we know that people that we're starting with generally have come uh, to the Austin Stone by way of our Sunday worship gathering, uh, and they're coming from you know a variety of different backgrounds with a variety of different stories, but all from a common culture that is Austin, Texas, mm-hmm. which just happens to be a place where Christianity is, is still, though it's changing, uh, is still valued in some sense, but it's highly consumeristic, and yeah. so... You know, we often say, hey, most people are coming, you know, as consumers of whatever, you know, kind of thing it is that they felt need they have that needs to get that. And that's not us saying we're going to capitulate to their consumerism, but to recognize that's where they're starting. And then we're aiming at a destination for them, which is as a missionary over time, which is a self-feeding, self-leading, self-multiplying disciple of Jesus who values gospel-centered community on mission, right? Uh, and so how do we get to that place? Well, it's going to be through a very slow process over time with a group of people where we hopefully are able to be in relationship with you, uh, but we're going to use some tools and structures and systems along the way for people to take one step at a time rather than have to jump you know, into the deep end of what it looks like to live the missionary life. Yeah, yeah. that's really good. Um, one of the things that we we've already mentioned, and and something that came out when you did the one day here, was your your approach to systems and applying systems to church. I think that's something that a lot of our planters struggle with. They just struggle how to put good systems um, into their church plant. They're either like high visionary guys that just have <laughs> a hard time, you know, putting next steps together. So just help us think a little bit about how do how do you build a good system for your church. Um, well, I think the first step in answering that question, how do you build a good system, begins with a fundamental conviction that systems serve people, people don't serve systems. Mm, yeah. uh, you know, that yeah. when, you're think- when you're thinking about a system, it's actually to serve, in church ministry, a particular group of people. And so you need to understand those people really well before you design a system yeah. that will serve them. So the second would be there is no perfect system. <laughs> so... Uh, yeah. Yeah. System should be designed with two things in mind. Number one, there's always going to be exceptions to the system, and if you do your job right with the system, it should probably change over the course of time. And wow. so that's the other side of the problem with systems, right, is they become institutions that never change and never adapt and fail to serve people. So um, those are the two things I would say is, you know, systems yeah. are meant for people, not people for systems, and then realizing that, uh, man, no, there is no perfect system, and it will change over time. And then just really practically, I think systems are a good way to describe what kind of process a majority of people go through, right? So uh, so don't just try and build a system because you think you need a system. Ask the question, how have I observed people change over the course of time? How have I observed people in my congregation or in my church plan? connects to community, how is that represented, not just through a single story, but through several different people, observe patterns, and then design systems in light of patterns that you already see. That's a great question, yeah. Yeah, that's great. Mm -hmm. That's fantastic. uh, uh, I see patterns in everything. (laughs) (laughs) uh, 
I, uh, I am unfortunately a systems guy, and I know that that's not intuitive to everyone, but right. I do think that there are people that are uniquely gifted in this way. So particularly look for people with the gift of teaching and administration. Yeah. Uh, those would be folks who can help you think carefully and thoughtfully about systems that might serve you. So for, for some of our guys that, that may not uh, you know, be a, a gifted systems guy, you know, they're the you know, visionary that kind of knows where to go, but how they're going to get there may be more difficult. What, what are some tools and resources that you would recommend to kind of help them develop that skill, whether it, while it may not ever become a, a gift and nobody will ever say, well, that's a gifted systems guy, but for guys that, that really want to find ways to get things done, what would be some resources or tools that you found helpful over the years that could really help some of our guys become at least adequate? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this is where, you know, the church growth movement, um, I think, is, is actually incredibly helpful. Uh, so I read, you know, as broadly as I possibly can. Though I'm obnoxiously reformed in my soteriology, and I'm distinctively <laughs> Baptistic in my heritage, uh, you know, and I'm missional, I think, in our philosophical approach to church. I do my best to just read broadly in a variety of different tribes. And when it comes to system thinking... Uh, your Bill Hybels, your Andy Stanley, your Rick Warren, those yeah. guys who have really concisely uh, approached ministry in a way that's helpful to the average person do a very, very good job of system thinking. And so uh, there was a, uh, a talk that Bill Hybels gave uh, when he was at Trinity Bronson uh, for an Alpha gathering that I would highly encourage people to, uh, to check out. It's available online, and I do not off the top of my head remember the title of the talk, but it is basically like a greatest hit of Bill Heibel's leadership principles, uh, and he has a section in there on systems that's actually really helpful in, uh, in how to just have a framework of kind of building out something that looks, resembles the system. Yeah. So. We'll, we'll Google that and, and find the link for that and include that in our show notes yeah. and uh, yeah. may, may send you that link and say, hey, is this the right one? <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. hey, yeah. Uh, along those same lines, uh, you know, as they're, as they're thinking systems and trying to, uh, as our associate executive director likes to say, you move the pile down the field. Uh, yeah. You know what are what are some things you guys do in self assessment uh, to uh, assess gaps or or holes that you find in your systems in your ministry? Um, what are some things that you guys do to uh, to kind of self assess uh, along the way? Yeah. Um, well, I, I think number one is really valuing disruptive leaders. Um, I tend to be like <laughs> integrative. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I like to integrate different ideas. I like to make sure that things are tight and running well. Yeah. Um, I am surrounded by, uh, in many ways, extremely disruptive kinds of leaders. Uh, and so uh, it, um, it, it always comes with tension. I want to go ahead and just caveat yeah. that. There's always going to be tension when you're around somebody like that. But in finding somebody who has kind of that nose for what's wrong, um, not just for, you know, fixing problems and making it right is really helpful. Uh, I think killing the sacred cow of any system and saying all of these things are up to change, if they're not helping the mission of God advance, and if they're not thoughtfully and carefully worked through, then we should we should be okay with them changing over time. Um, but in terms of the so people, number one, I, I think that's the best resource you can have is somebody with uh-huh. a critical eye yeah. to help you think through your church culture. Uh, 
the, the second kind of some self-assessment questions would be uh, just honestly uh, taking a step back. Uh, we do this quite regularly just through some basic tools. We do uh, kind of opportunity and threat assessment as a senior leadership team and go, what opportunities do we see in front of us? And we're always thinking through opportunities through the lens of people, uh, through the lens of communication, and through the lens of finances. So that's kind of the three most important resources, it seems like, uh, you know, like on a looking at the horizontal sense in church ministry is, man, what are our people? Are they on the right seats on the bus? Do they have uh, capacity that's not being tapped into? Are there skills and opportunities uh, that we can explore based on the gifts that God has given our church? We look at communication. Hey, are there things that we can say? Are there channels that we can explore? Are there new ways of talking about or sharing ideas? And then we're thinking about finances. Hey, what opportunities might we have to generate uh, new finances or to redeploy uh, financial resources for the state commission? And then we're always looking at threats as well. So in those three categories, what are our threats? You know, what is it that presents a um, kind of a unique challenge or obstacle uh, with uh, kind of those three different things that's used. So given an opportunity and threat assessment is, is really uh, really helpful in a regular discipline I would recommend cultivating. So do you have certain groups that you listen to and do listening sessions with on some of that? I've heard J.D. Greer uh, say multiple times that, that they've got different groups of people that they'll pull in and for some of those critical eyes. And, and I heard him say to me not too long ago, he said, you know, our best ideas come from those listening sessions and not necessarily the staff. And uh, so there, do you have certain groups that you do that with, or is it just more just kind of just general interactions with people? Uh, I would. I would say that's really natural to our thinking, and so we probably uh, don't need focus groups because that's actually one of the cultural values that we have is constant self-reflection, constant learning, and constant kind of uh, you know movement and improvement forward. And yeah. so one of the principles I try and cultivate in any of our staff particularly is kind of a, number one, you're a disciple of Jesus. So you do not get an option to not live in community on mission. Yeah. Uh, man, you need to be faithfully engaging people in the harvest. If I don't hear stories of you sharing the gospel, if I don't hear stories of you meeting needs in your neighborhood, then we've got problems. Mm-hmm. So that keeps them rooted in the actual mission of God, not just hiding behind the front lines, you know, and shouting yeah. from a pulpit or, you know, training in a classroom, but they actually have to be on the front lines themselves. Second is we want every single person on our staff to be engaged in a local church. We have seven different campuses throughout our city, but they need to have a meaningful role in a church community, whether that's elder, deacon, you know, servant, lead servant on a team, uh, some kind of significant ministry to the actual body as it's assembled here in Austin. They need to have that. And then third would be cross-pollination of their ideas. Uh, this is one of the values, uh, value adds to being a multi-site church is all of our campus pastors regularly meeting and discussing kind of ideas and learning together. All of our leadership directors regularly doing that. And that's actually one of the things I do for my own job is ensuring that there's not silos, but regular conversation uh, across the board for our team. So that doesn't really translate super well for church planning. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> No, it, it the helps. Prin- the principle does, which yeah. is multiple layers of engagement in ministry mission. If you just become a preacher, if you just become an executive pastor, then I think you're going to become very myopic and you'll lose sight of those strengths, weaknesses, and those kinds of things. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, absolutely. I think you uh, you have a you have a real I think great perspective on on 
uh, dissenters are often leaders, I think. Yeah. And, and how do you how do you listen to those folks and, and leverage those folks to be leaders in your church? Um, I, I did a cohort with you guys, as I've mentioned before, a couple of years ago. Uh, really enjoyed it. It's probably the best learning environment I think I've ever been a part of. And so I wanted you just to take a minute and talk a little bit about the cohorts that you're doing and why you're doing training uh, with guys in this way. Yeah. Uh, so part of it was honestly just responsive. Um, you know, for one reason or another, God's great, the awesome stone with a unique platform. And so we get asked questions all over the place from things that we're really good at, to things that we're honestly just horrible. At. <laughs> uh, uh, the second was recognizing, I think, my particular giftings. Um, I really don't enjoy standing in front of a large room and kind of uh, doing monologue. Uh, my favorite means of training and engagement is always going to be dialogical in nature. I want to be highly interactive. I want to be responsive to what's going on in someone else's context before I tell them the idea that maybe we have formed in our own. Uh, so that kind of just coalesced between an opportunity and my unique uh, kind of, I guess, wiring for how I teach and train people into creating these small learning environments for uh, primarily some lead pastors and church planters, executive pastors and spiritual formation or community pastors, gathering them in groups of kind of 10 to 12, uh, so that there's many different uh, kind of uh, churches and cultures represented, but in a small enough fashion where you can have significant interaction and conversation. And then the second piece was my friend Trevor uh, Joy. He's the uh, pastor of spiritual formation at the Village Church. He just brings a similar but totally unique perspective to ministry, and so I like the push-pull. I like challenging ideas. I like participative uh, learning, and so Man, we just kind of throw all that in a pot and said, hey, what would it look like for us to do that together? And so it's fostered about seven different cohorts, I think, that, uh, no, sorry, we're at about five different cohorts um, that we've done and seen. And I think uh, for most people, they've had a really positive experience in this kind of learning environment over the course of six months, two gatherings and coaching in between. Man, that's great. That's great. I, you know, I've always learned, learned better in those collaborative environments uh, than I than I have in kind of a, a lecture format, and I, I'm an auditory you know learner as well. I mean, I can learn that way and appreciate that. But boy, to be able to to dialogue about those ideas, you know, right in the fray is just outstanding. So uh, great learning environments. Yeah, Todd. In closing, if there's one final thing you could tell to church planters, what would it be? No, that's a broad question, but <laughs> try one thing you could tell. Oh man. Um, <laughs> I think I've given this particular piece of feedback pretty often when it pertains to this question, which would be, um, don't love the church that you see in the future more than you love the church that God has already entrusted you to care for and to lead. I think I see so many church planters who have a visionary mindset, which is really good. They see a potential future, Uh but they tend to get cynical, or they tend to get frustrated, or they get defeated, because that's not becoming reality fast enough for them. And so, man, God's given you a church, whether that's three people in a living room, or it's 50 people that is just forming a gathering, or it's 200 people that are, you know, rapidly forming a really large-scale congregation, or it's thousands, and love the people that God has entrusted to your care in that very moment, and then help them take a next step in their journey of faith. So, 
Uh, yeah, don't love the church of the future, man. Love the one of the present would be my, my exhortation and courage. Yeah, That's word. great advice. Yeah. Great word. Great word. Well, you guys have you know raised up a bunch of church planters and interacted with a bunch of church planters all over the country, and I would probably say that's a pretty common challenge for most visionary leaders, and uh, yep. we see that in Arkansas as well. So that's a that's a good word right there, man. Thank you so much for for coming on with us and and hanging out with us and talking a little football, talking a little Jesus, and <laughs> talking a little church and things that we all love and. Uh, uh, so we're going we're gonna to kind of wrap up with some rapid-fire questions. Uh, we do this with each of our guests, and uh, these are really deep, thought-provoking questions <laughs> that uh, you know, are going to be challenging. And so, uh, Sounds like fun. So, all right, so here we go. All right, to fire off, top one or two books that have had the most impact on you. Uh, Total Church by Steve Timmons and Tim Chester and The Master Plan of Evangelism by Robert Coleman. Oh, good, nice. good. How about biggest strength in church planting? Uh, for me personally, or things that I would say yes. church planters need to have. You personally. For me personally, uh, I think it is a unique conviction and ability in making disciples and leaders. All right. How about weakness? Uh, I tend to become fairly rigid and restrictive uh, when ideas that I don't like uh, are brought in. <laughs> <laughs> don't we all? Yeah. <laughs> uh, that, that could be across the board weakness right, right there for us. <laughs> Favorite hobby or pastime? Oh, man. I wish I had time for hobbies. Yeah. <laughs> you got five Top kids. Golf. Yeah, Top Golf has become my favorite pastime. Oh, cool. Right now. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Favorite movie? Oh, goodness. Uh, comedy is Dumb and Dumber. Uh, serious movie would be The Mission. <laughs> Oh, all right. <laughs> Dumb and Dumber is also... I went to see Dumb and Dumber on uh, the night before my wedding oh, with our gosh. whole wedding party. <laughs> and that, was a, that was a good choice. She, yeah, that was and a she good married choice. you anyway. And she so. married me anyway. Uh, what about favorite band or musician? Uh, favorite band is the infamous, amazing Pearl Jam. Oh, Late 80s, classic. early 90s fame, who is still together and still making good I would say Pearl Jam across 80s, 90s, 2000s, and 2010s because they're still incredible They're band. still going. Hanging around. Still incredible going. Band. Yeah. Awesome. Todd, thanks so much, man. Really appreciate you, uh, your ministry, your investment in me personally. Thank you for coming to Arkansas this uh, past February. We just appreciate all that you guys are doing and, and all that God's using you to do at the Stone. Well, uh, I appreciate you guys uh, giving me the opportunity. Here's a howdy from Texas. If yeah. you guys ever want me to come back to Arkansas, I'll be there in a heartbeat. Hey, we'll do it. We'll do it, man. Thanks, Todd. Thanks so much, buddy. Yeah, appreciate you guys. Great interview with Todd Ingstrom, Austin Stone Community Church. If you guys are not familiar with Todd, uh, you need to follow him on Twitter and and uh, uh, check him out. Just a very smart guy and uh, just a brilliant mind. Love for the gospel love for Jesus. And, uh, and as, uh, some buddy of our buddies of ours at the multiply training said, he dropped some gold on us there. Yeah, he did. Uh, you yeah. know, the, the statement there at the end to, to love the church you have, not just the church in the future. Yeah. And I remember David youth telling a story, one of his early church, maybe in the first church he pastored. And, uh, one of the deacons pulled him aside after Sunday, invited him to lunch and, they got through with lunch and went into his study to visit for a little bit. And the deacon told him, he said, uh, he said, need to talk to you. He said, one of us is leaving the church. He said, it's either going to be you or me. 
And David said, I was stunned by this because I thought things were going really well. And he said, I asked him why, you know, what's going on? He said, you don't love us. He said, you've got all these ideas about where we need to go. And he Mm -hmm. said, you're not spending any time with us. And he said, that was a wake up call to me. And really that's, that was what he needed to hear was that, Mm. look, don't just love where we're going, love where we are, you know, now love who we are. That's a fantastic word uh, for our church planners. Yeah, and similarly, the thing I I love about Todd is he says, I want people to be missionaries, but I know that's not where they are today. Right, right. But he doesn't get up, give up, or or get frustrated with them because they're not missionaries today. He just gets them in a process to try to help get move them in that direction, that, yeah. that people are formed into the image of Jesus over time. Yeah. And I just love that perspective. It piggybacks on exactly what he said and what you're saying. Yeah. Uh, just to be patient, this stuff takes time. You know, people are not going to, you know, think about your own life. You know, you may be a pastor or planter. Uh, you didn't get to where you are overnight. Not yeah. only have you not arrived, but, you, yeah. you know, you, we, we, we didn't get to where we were overnight. So yeah. we've been formed over time by... Uh, by by Jesus and by others in our life. So I love that idea of, look, if I can just gather them in groups and move them down the line toward being missionaries, then then that's good enough for me. Uh, it's it's kind of like his perspective on on people who are dissenting. Oh, absolutely. You know, he doesn't he doesn't try to uh, censor the dissenting voices. He says there's a leader. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And and how do I hear what they're saying and value what they're saying and to make our church better? Yeah. Man, just. That's just a missing perspective yeah. in our churches. And, and dissension doesn't come from a vacuum. There, there's something behind that. Either it's a truth that we've been blinded to, that we mm-hmm. need to hear, that God's sending somebody to say, look, here's a warning sign, mm-hmm. or it's somebody that's had a bad experience somewhere that is causing them to voice dissension or displeasure mm-hmm. or whatever. And that's something we need to be aware of as well yeah. to, to minister more effectively to that person. Right. Uh, you know, I've said this on the podcast before, uh, you know, there's been a few people, you know, down and all of us have these folks in our ministry and, and some of them turn out to be very helpful. Some of them turn out to be just dissenters, <laughs> uh, but there's always a kernel of truth Absolutely. You know, in every criticism mm-hmm. that we need to hear. And so take the kernel of truth, learn from it, grow from it and throw the rest away. Yeah. And uh, those dissenting voices, and it may, you know, he talked about getting people on the right seats on the bus as well. Yeah. And it may very well be that there's something that they're, they have to offer that they're not getting to offer, which means they're not on the right seat. And mm-hmm. so their dissension is a move to, to be, for them to be able to express the gifting that God has wired into them. So. Yeah, I think it's just you can't take everything personally. Right. Take, take it as an opportunity you know, to, to yeah. make everybody better, to do things better. Don't, don't see it as a negative on, on your leadership. Very hard to do, but I, yeah. think, I think a really good word uh, uh, from, from Todd. Todd, I love, I love, I think what he was pointing to, another thing that stood out to me was systems don't make disciples, people make disciples, yeah. and make sure that, that when you're, you know, you're, you're moving people into a system or you're systematizing to make sure you keep it focused on people and that it doesn't become institutionalized in a sacred cow and something that can never change. Yeah. Man. Yeah. Good, systems good serve the people. People do not serve yeah. the systems. That's some more gold right there. That's some more <laughs> gold right there. Uh, a rigid system will destroy your people yeah. uh, if you're not careful. And, uh, and so man, just so many good thoughts yeah. uh, throughout that, that podcast.
And and let's you know let's just be honest and say this too. Sometimes people who are dissenting are sinning. <laughs> you know, uh, not every voice of dissension is a, a word from God. <laughs> let's just say that. But that's something we need to be aware of as well. And the yeah. more we and he talked about this, the more you know your people. Uh, the better you can build systems, the better you can make disciples, the better you can be on mission. And so at the end of the day, it always comes back to the relationships. Um, and for a healthy church, for a growing church, relationships are vital. Yeah. So great, great words there from, yep. from Todd. All right, well, we're going to kick it over to, to Neil with uh, Story Time with Uncle Neil. It's Story Time. Today's story comes from Fellowship Community Church in Forest City, Arkansas, where Chance and Newborn is the pastor. If we had to name this story, we could call this Spontaneous Baptisms. Chanson explains that this particular Sunday, he was scheduled to baptize two people. However, by the time he got to church, that number had been decreased to only one. He says that he went on like normal during that particular service and after the sermon began to prepare to baptize that one individual. While sharing the gospel before actually baptizing, which was his custom, another person from the congregation stood up and stated that they wanted to accept Christ as their Savior and be baptized that day. Chanson began to baptize those two, all while continuing to share the gospel and the reason why these two were getting baptized. Suddenly, there were a few more that began to explain that while they had been coming to church, they had never made a confession of faith in Christ. They, too, began to express a desire to be baptized that day. Before it was all done on that normal Sunday, Chanson Newborn and Fellowship Community Church had baptized more than 20 people. Many, as Chanson explained, didn't even wait to change clothes. They just climbed into the baptism pool, which is actually a trough, and waited to be baptized. What makes this day so special is that the one baptism that was planned was Chanson Newborn's son. What an amazing day at Fellowship Community Church in Forest City, Arkansas. We'd like to hear your story. Email us at thegrind at absc.org. Another great story uh, Neil shares with us there. Uh, guys just doing some incredible things in Arkansas, and, and uh, Chanson is doing an amazing job in Forest City, uh, at Fellowship Community Church there, and we're hoping to have him on the podcast here in the coming weeks uh, so you can kind of hear from him and hear his story, And uh, but they are, they are just leading a ton of people to Christ and baptizing lots of folks, so uh, great stuff going on there we wanted you to know about. It's called reading. Top to bottom, left to right. Group words together as a sentence. What is this? I'm still sore I never read Moby Dick. I'm very important. You never read anything I asked you to. Uh, I have... Many leather-bound books. Let's look at Chad and Dave's bookshelf. On my bookshelf uh, this time around is "Saturate" by Jeff Vanderstelt. Yep. Uh, really good. I've, all, I've I've always enjoyed Jeff Vanderstelt and missional communities. Uh, we took our church from small groups to missional communities to try to get our folks a little bit more outward focus. So always, I've appreciated for a long time uh, his kind of stance on that, teaching on that, leadership in that. So Saturate uh, really does explore uh, some of those ideas. The main idea of the book is how do we how do we live on mission for Jesus in the everyday stuff of life? Yeah. And that's that's what I walked away from that was so helpful because I think when we think about 
living on mission, we think it's got to be extraordinary. Yeah. We think it's got to happen in India or Africa or China, <laughs> yeah. which it needs to happen. Yeah, absolutely. Like some of us need to leave and go there, yeah. okay? But the majority of us are going to stay here, you know? And so how do you live as a Christian in the everyday stuff of life? And uh, you when you look back at Jesus, a lot of what he did was ordinary stuff, yeah. local and ordinary. Yeah. You know, it was eating with people, it was talking with people, even with Zacchaeus. You know, uh, I, I think I was uh, preaching a couple weeks ago from 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 Luke about Zacchaeus, and all Jesus did with Zacchaeus was eat at his house and talk to him. That's, I mean, <laughs> yeah. it's like so. Yeah. So I was challenging people: Can you eat? a meal with someone and have a conversation, then you can do it, you know? So I think sometimes we make it this extraordinary thing that you got to do. He just says everyday stuff of life. What are you already doing? Who are you already connected to? If your kid already plays ball on this team, then make that team that he plays ball on the focus of your efforts. Get to know the parents. Get to know the kids. Serve those kids. Serve those families. Bring other people in your church or missional community to serve those people with you. So... Just super, I think, helpful, especially for a church planter who's moving into maybe a, a community they don't know or even a community they do know. Yeah. How do you start to live on mission in, in the everyday stuff of life? So, Great stuff. stuff. Great yeah, stuff. It, was, it was. Well, for my book this week, uh, I've been kind of on a prayer journey over the last couple of years and, and so been reading you know, about prayer and, of course, have a, a weekly prayer group with a group of men I'm a part of that has been just really transforming my life in a lot of ways and, and needs to continue to do so uh, you know, as I'm learning to, to really develop a, a deeper prayer life, which I always felt like has been lacking. And, and so my book this week is Prayers Plainly Spoken by one of my favorite theologians, uh, Stanley Hauerwas, uh, who's a Christian ethics professor, theological ethics professor at Duke. And, uh, and he just, Hauerwas is... I was one of those pivotal guys that uh, Jeff Holloway, who's my professor at Williams Baptist College and at Southwestern Seminary, introduced me to and and just really changed uh, my view of the church, changed my view of the church's role in the world. And uh, and so this is a collection of, of prayers that he, he prays before every class and several of his students, and he writes out these prayers. He's deeply theological, so he writes out these prayers. And so his students have requested that he collect these prayers. And so this book is a collection of his prayers. And I, I mean, you, it begins, you know, as a prayer on the good work of praise. Uh, he's titled all of these. And, you know, here, here's how, I mean, this begins. Strange Lord who would rule your creation through the crucified son of a carpenter, make us workers in your kingdom. I mean, just, just the language that he uses, yeah. you know, kind of informing, how do we talk to this God of the universe? How do we express you know, what these, these deep inner longings that we have? And, and uh, he even has one here, one of the funniest ones in here. Howard is kind of a, a quirky fella anyway, and he was asked to pray at this... Uh, public gathering that was honoring one of their English professors that won award won an award. I think it was a Pulitzer for something he had written, and so they asked him to pray. But there were going to be a lot of different faiths there, mm. so he was asked to kind of keep it vague and not necessarily pray mm. in Jesus' name. Right. 
well, that was the wrong thing to say <laughs> to Stanley Hauerwas. And so uh, he initially, he hates civil religion uh, and any kind of, you know, worship of a vague God. Mm. And so so he did he he declined at first and then came back and agreed to do it. And so he records the prayer that he prayed there. And uh uh and, and the title of this this prayer is Addressing the God who is not the ultimate vagueness. <laughs> And, and so he prays to the Father of Jesus Christ and thankful that he's not this vague God that hasn't identified himself. And, you know, you keep uh, trying to, uh, you know, scare us into righteousness and we don't listen. We're stiff-necked people. And it's just this, this scathing kind of attack against uh, any attempt to try and pray to some vague God out there that doesn't have a name, that can't be known, that doesn't know us as if it's a meaningful prayer at all. Wow. And so he prays boldly in Jesus' name, and he says, I was never asked to pray in a public <laughs> event at Duke again. And uh, so it just, you know, just such, you know, deep and meaningful, deep theological prayers that are well thought out and just as a way to kind of provoke me to think, you know, differently about how I pray and, and just the conversations I have with God. And, and uh, so love him as a theologian, but this book, Prayers Plainly Spoken, is just a... Uh, Great fun, you know, read about prayer. So, so that's quite a different book uh, than we normally recommend, but wanted to share something different there. And so, I uh, hope you enjoy that. Once again, you know, thanks to Todd Ingstrom for visiting with us. Uh, you can, you know, kind of catch up with some highlights of that in the show notes. Uh, also, the books we recommended will be there. Uh, a couple of things coming up we'll make you aware of. Our ABSC annual meeting and pastor's conference is coming up uh, at the end of October, the 24th through the 26th uh, at Emmanuel Baptist Church in Little Rock. So if you're uh, in Arkansas, want to hear some good preaching, some good worship, hang out with some, some great pastors and planners, come join us for that. Uh, like I said, we're going to try and get Chance and Newborn of Fellowship Community Church in Forest City on the podcast coming up. I have Dean Fulks of LifePoint Church in Columbus, uh, Ohio, one of our Sin City coordinators and uh, church planner up there. Uh, He'll be coming up in uh, in the next couple weeks as well. Uh, Also, uh, email us your stories uh, at at the grind. uh, Email address thegrind at absc.org. I'd love to hear your stories. We want to share Arkansas church planning stories on the podcast. And also write a review uh, on iTunes and shoot us a screenshot of that. We want to do some book giveaways. And so uh, I think we have one review on there right now. So uh, so write a short review on there uh, for us, and we'll do a book giveaway uh, out of one of the books that we've recommended uh, on the podcast. And so uh, uh, thank you for listening. Thank you for, for hanging out with us. We hope it's been helpful and meaningful to you and look forward to doing more of this in the future. So Chad, sayonara. Keep grinding.